Hello everybody, I'm Israel Ortiz, Program Manager at Health Teamworks, and I want to welcome you to our Health Teamworks chat, Conversations on How to Make Healthcare Work podcast. Our second episode of this season is about compassion, fatigue, and burnout. We are honored to have a conversation with Sue McKenzie Dix. Sue is the Vice President of Health Culture at Rogers Behavioral Health. Sue leads internal efforts around culture and equity. Her work on culture change through compassion resilience has reached audiences across the nation as well as audiences internationally. Please enjoy this episode. I'll pass it to you, Katie. Thanks, Israel. I'm so happy to have you here today, Sue, and I'm excited to talk with you about this topic that's been really on the minds of a lot of people in healthcare and probably a lot of people listening to this podcast, especially the last couple of years, and that's burnout and secondary trauma, which collectively we refer to as compassion fatigue. And hopefully together we can look a little bit more at that space of compassion resilience, which is that antithesis of compassion fatigue. And so Sue, it is wonderful to be able to chat with you and hopefully share with our listeners, some of that expert knowledge and experience that you have in this area. Great to be here with you too, Katie. And and I don't know if your listeners realize that some of what I'm going to be talking about, you actually had a, a hand in. So it's going to be fun <laughs> to share with you the fruit of some of your really good work. Yes, it's been really fun and exciting um, working around this. And, and so I have a little bit of knowledge around the first question I'm going to ask you and but I just find it incredibly interesting and so I would love for you to sort of share um, that with our listeners who might not be familiar but I was hoping you could get us started by talking a little bit about how this work this compassion resilience work got started in the first place. Yeah, because it is it is different than everyone who's coming to the topic today. Um, It began way before the pandemic and with a coalition of organizations and individuals that were trying to really look at the stigma around mental illness. And in our work, um, to be sure that we were doing evidence-based practice, we'd listened a lot to people who've had experiences of stigma. And like the research says, we found in our conversations that people were experiencing what they labeled as stigma in some of the very places that intended to offer support, healthcare, faith communities, schools. And so we stepped back from this notion of teaching about stigma and how not to be stigmatizing in helping professions to really ask ourselves, why would people who enter the profession, who get up in the morning with this mission heart, act in ways that come across as stigmatizing um, to people with mental health conditions. And that really led us to compassion fatigue. And it was the actual patients themselves that reported when we said, why do you think this is happening? They were able to label that gosh, mental health is a difficult space to work in. It's not as black and white as some areas of healthcare. They talked about understanding people's caseloads were high and that people don't get to collaborate as much as they used to. And I started to say, well, well, wait a minute, they're actually talking about uh, compassion fatigue and they're approaching these people that they say maybe had mistreated them with a pretty high level of compassion themselves. So we dug into the work 
um, wanted to understand compassion fatigue, and also really early on got clear that this couldn't be as simple as the antidote to compassion fatigue is self-care. We heard that as we started to go to some national conferences, and we knew in our guts that it needed to be also about our team culture, our organizational culture, and even the cultures of the systems that we all work within. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I love that you pointed that out because um, I think sometimes we all use sort of different language around this. And sometimes people hear compassion, resilience that we talk about. And, um, you know, on the surface, it might sound to some people very personal and individual. Um, like yoga so- and a candle. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, you know, you can do as much self-care as you want, but if you're just going into the same environment that isn't supporting you, um, then you're probably going to end up frustrated and even more burnt out than you were to begin with. <laughs> um, Absolutely. Yeah. So then fast forward to today and what sort of internal work is happening or has happened at Rogers to sort of create and sustain that culture of compassion that you were referring to? Sure. So, you know, we started off by um, doing the compassion resilience work with the free compassion resilience toolkit that we had developed and and used in many different organizations and sectors. And we started training facilitators within the organization. So we have uh, probably at least 120 people across Rogers that are trained to lead these conversations. And they're um, conversations that each conversation has a purpose and it's linked to the next. So the way we do it at Rogers is it's a series of eight conversations with groups of people. And that that has worked. And I can talk a little bit about the content of that if you want later. That has worked well. It got um, really the the whole idea moving and people better understanding what it was and and, uh, leaders considering some different practices and perspectives. But I think um, one of the outcomes of the pandemic has really helped us to see that we also have to get to really foundational pieces that aren't time consuming, but are really, really crucial. And I would say the number one thing we're focused on right now at Rogers is connection, is what are we doing on a daily basis to foster connection with each other? that in these hard times, um, it's not unusual as human beings to kind of go into our um, independent state and just get through the day. And yet we're all experiencing that that doesn't work. And so we're prioritizing with our leaders throughout the organization that we create opportunities for connection. And we're realistic. It doesn't mean that we're all gonna go on a retreat for half a day. It may mean that we just pause take a breath, actually care about what people say when you check in with them at the beginning of a meeting, really getting intentional about building connections back when a lot of the connections have been lost. Okay. Yeah. And so um, from those experiences that you've had um, with the toolkit and with working with Rogers, and for those of you who aren't familiar with the toolkit that we're referring to, it's this Um, free online toolkit that um, Rogers uses and organizations sort of across the country use um, that sort of looks at um, building compassion resilience from um, about 
seven different angles and it has 12 different sections and it helps people facilitate conversations within their organizations or on their teams. So it's a really great resource um, for those who want to look a little bit deeper into that. Um, but Sue, from your, I heard about engaging leadership and developing connection. And I'm curious if there are other sort of crucial elements that you see to creating a healthy culture, one that supports people in showing up as their best self every day. Sure. The first thing that comes to mind for me is that people have a voice in the organization. And a, a lot of the work, especially in the middle part of the toolkit, is developing a uh, I would say an internal locus of control, um, asking everyone, regardless of, of your position in the organization, to think about what is driving your fatigue and focus on what is it that I actually have control over. And it's interesting to me, from the work that I've done, I've met high-level leaders who have more of an external locus of control who will say to me, I've tried that and it's never going to work. You know, that kind of external attitude um, versus the internal sense of this is what I can do. And I'm, I may need to lock arms with some others in my organization, but we have the power to, to move our organization. So I think um, you get that it's a two-way conversation, right? We have to have environments where we're really listening and we need to have um, leaders who will take the time to ask themselves, what have we heard? And what are we going to do about what we've heard? I think without that integrity, then we, we have a lot of employees who rightfully so have an external locus of control, but that also leads to less connection to mission. Um, it leads to less creative problem solving, less innovation, if we have people that feel shut down within their organization. So that having a voice throughout the organization, I think is a crucial component of culture. Um, another one is common language. I think there's so many things that we all understand as human beings, and we are really hungry to be able to talk about, but sometimes just because we don't have the common language, the shared language between us, we avoid those kinds of conversations. And so at first when we started and, and we, we didn't define what compassion and action looks like, we just went right into fatigue and we realized, oh, wait a minute, we need language to even talk about what does it mean to act with compassion. Same with compassion fatigue, it's such an overarching term and we use it without really delving into understanding what it is. So Eric Gentry's stages of fatigue have been crucial in these conversations. And you just see people light up when they're able to, to distinguish between fatigue and the zealot phase versus fatigue and the withdrawal stage. It, it just gives them a broader and deeper um, ability to have a conversation and actually to do something about it when we create that language set for them to use. Yeah, I, I like that idea of um, being able to, you know, keep that somewhere where staff can see it, that sort of cycle of fatigue, um, because sometimes we don't even realize we're in it um, until we're pretty deep in it. <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah, that can be um, a really challenging thing to even start to think about, I guess. And I would think that most everybody um, would agree that those are really things that you what you uh, talked about in terms of 
having a voice, having leadership that listens and follows through with what they say they're going to do um, and taking action. And those are things that I think increasingly more so people are being explicit about the, that's what they are craving in their careers and in their workspace as of late. And at Health Teamworks, we work with um, a number of primary care practices and other medical providers and staff who have experienced burnout and huge drains in their resiliency. And they, but they want a healthy culture and they want to be able to show up from a place of compassion and and not fall into that, um, you know, feelings of resentment or cynicism. But they also have this laundry list of things that they have to do just to stay afloat. And so where would you suggest that these practices start in creating a healthy and compassionate culture? First thing that comes to mind is just validating, right? That it, that it isn't the culture that, you know, most of us are working in cultures that we didn't design, that we didn't want, that are really a reaction to some things that have happened. And so I think starting with validating that, but not staying in that place, you know, we've, we've done a lot of complaining about where we're all at lately. And so we need to validate, but as we know from trauma-informed care, you know, every time I tell my bad story, my body experiences it as if it's new, right? So I would like to invite teams to get it on the table and then figure out, you know, what are the small steps that they want to take to move forward. And I find we have to define the culture we want, you know, to spend some time to say, what would it look like if this was a healthy culture and come to some agreement about our vision? It just like anything else in life, we need to know where we're going and it, you know, nothing's going to be perfect, but when I have a vision of where I'm going, I can begin to put those steps into place. And, and again, that's a great place for employee voice, right? Leaders shouldn't define the culture they want. The whole team should be defining the culture. And then we, we a lot of the work we do is around um, also defining behaviors that would happen in that desired culture. And so when you start to get to that level of, oh, being open and welcoming to people when they come into my space, right? I want that for me. I would, I would like that from others. Then we have something concrete to talk about and move towards. So that vision of the healthy culture that's defined not just by values, but also by behaviors gives you a target and then allows you to do that kind of planning of how do we get there? You know, where are we struggling the most? What would we need to support us to get there? And we can move there in small steps. I, if, if people use huddles, um, you know, we often say, what would it be to add 10 extra minutes a week onto your huddle to help move your culture forward, right? It doesn't have to be this major thing, but it has to be consistent and authentic. Yeah, I think um, engagement of leadership is something that I hear often as, you know, that's sort of what you need as a baseline. Um, but I appreciate you sharing that. And I think it, it gives us um, sort of a fresh perspective to look at when we're feeling like we're drowning. Um, we don't have to, you know, do everything all at once, but start at the basics. Yeah. Um, and this is actually a question that, um, and we've talked about the pandemic, um, a couple of times. And this is a question that's actually come up among health teamwork staff. And recently, and 
um, when I told them that I was going to be talking with you and sort of a little bit about what we were going to be talking about today. And they were wondering, and I'm curious as well, um, whether you've noticed changes over the course of the pandemic, because you have been doing this work um, long before the pandemic. If there are sort of changes in what people are experiencing or what they're needing in terms of um, resiliency and addressing compassion fatigue? I think what I've noticed is that there is a really basic, almost, uh, I want to say almost animal-like lack of well-being. You know, that it, so I, I think, of course, there's the organizational and the team level. But I, I think it, when I say we learned that we had to start with connection, right, you know, as, as we're trying to pull out of the pandemic impact, that we had to get very basic. And so I think looking back, if, if I was to redesign the toolkit, I probably would spend more time in the early end of just what do we as human beings need? And, and, and that, that's at all levels, right? As an individual, what do I need? What do we as a team, really at its basic level, what do we need as a team? And, and I think that pandemic has brought us back, back to that very basic level of need. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's highlighted in so many ways, sort of gaps in our system and the lack of support, like basic support, um, I think was highlighted as well. Um, mm -hmm. so that makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, one of the things we did at Rogers um, as a result of lots of feedback from employees and just observations across the organization, um, we now, our, all employees and their families and their children have access to 12 sessions of either online or in-person therapy. Here we are a behavioral health organization and we, you know, we're really realizing, oh my goodness, we've got to really focus on the mental health of our employees as we do this work. And that wasn't happening prior to the pandemic. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That is, that's an interesting, um, comment. I'm, yeah, I like that. But, and that's sort of the piece of why we um, have spent a lot more time at health teamworks focusing more explicitly on how to support the people that we work with, the organizations and practices that we work with in mitigating this sort of fatigue and building up their resilience because it has just been been underneath the surface this whole time, but I think the pandemic has really um, brought it to light in mm -hmm. a lot of ways. So as we come to our final moments together, I just want to thank you for taking time to chat with me and sharing your wisdom, because I think there's a lot of doom and gloom, and it's easy to get caught up in what's not working or what's not in our control. But I think what you've shared with us offers that sort of much needed glimmer, glimmer of hope so to speak, and that there's tons of things that you can do to get started in supporting ourselves and the people around us in, um, in sort of mitigating this um, crisis of burnout and fatigue. So thank you for that. And thank Absolutely. you to our listeners. Yeah, thanks so much. Thank you, Katie. I want to thank you for listening today. 
I hope you enjoyed this episode and stay tuned. Every month, we will release a new episode where we will have in conversations with healthcare stakeholders and community members on how to make healthcare work. If you would like to suggest topics for our podcast, please reach us at solutions at healthteamworks.org. To learn more about Health Teamworks, please visit healthteamworks.org and follow us on social media. Health Teamworks Chat, conversations on how to make healthcare work, is a production of Health Teamworks. For more episodes, please visit Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, YouTube, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts.